From the Defense Acquisition University, this is the Learning Circle. This is the Learning Circle. I'm Anthony Rotolo, and with me for today's episode is Deborah Moore. Deborah is my colleague here at DAU. She is the Learning Director for Performance Development. Our performance development is a program in which we train our internal workforce who are in learning asset creation and delivery roles. There's a ton of work right there, Deborah. I'm sure you'll agree. Deborah, welcome to the Learning Circle. Thank you, Anthony. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, can I take a minute and describe what that work entails? Yeah, please paint the picture. It's an interesting job description. Let us know what's going on because we are in the midst of a transformation at DAU, which is very exciting. So let us know what's happening. We are, and and it is exciting. What's happening right now is as the learning director, previously this program was called Faculty Performance Development. And so we were focused on helping faculty at DAU deliver their content more effectively. You know, our acquisition workforce is about 183,000 strong. And so I like to say that, you know, the people who I train then go out and train all 183,000 of those people. So I feel like it's a super important, really interesting and exciting job. With all the changes, as you mentioned, especially sort of accelerated, we are expanding from faculty to all of the workforce members that we have working inside of DAU. So anyone now who is involved with learning asset creation or learning asset delivery. And so that could include previous administrative staff now whose roles are expanding and changing as they take on roles in uh, virtual delivery. And all of this is in support of the warfighter. What really makes this work meaningful is that, yes, we're, you know, it's very easy. You know, when you're in mm-hmm. a certain silo, if you will, we, we kind of see all of our university stuff and we see the faculty and how we're supporting them. But the big picture is that we're helping acquisition people make smarter, faster, better business decisions so that we can equip the warfighter. So, you very, very meaningful stuff. And I think. In that chain of concern, you're helping that business get done that much faster with everything that you're doing. Yes. You know, sometimes when I'm teaching some of these new instructors, I get a little teary because I am saying, look, what you are learning here and your ability to be a good teacher who will influence the acquisition workforce, who will then buy things for our warfighters, you know, you could save somebody's life, someone's someone's son or daughter who is a warfighter, what you purchase for them could be a life and death thing. And that that's a big deal. It really is. Now, in the work that you've been doing, you make a distinction. You make a distinction between what we call performance development and professional development. How do you parse those out? What is the difference? The difference for me is professional development supports more the needs of the individual in an organization. Lots of times, if you think of of your HR department, professional development is often related to like health and well-being, policy and regulation, compliance training, that sort of thing. Professional development might use performance or other data from other departments. 
They might support the department's procurement of hiring the workforce and that sort of thing. Whereas performance development is more focused on the mission of the organization. It increases capacity and performance levels for that organization. So professional development might be, you know, oh, I got help with tuition assistance and now I'm a better whatever. Performance development is by learning what I need to do in this job and doing it well, I have increased the capacity of my organization to achieve its mission. And that's the difference for me. Yeah, I think you're talking about how there are certain competencies that become performances that are very specific that are needed to a job role where the professional development tends to take the form of a more of a generalized support, a broader type of support. Is that a good way to characterize it? That's a great summary, Anthony. That is exactly it. Performance is based on competencies, measurable proficiencies, measurable and observable standards. And that is what we want to go for when we're talking about performance. Excellent. Yeah, that's very clear. Now, I don't know if you've heard, Deborah, but there's a pandemic going on. Has that news reached you? (laughs) I think I might have heard something about that. Right. You know, not to be flippant about it, but it's, you know, the, the fact is the pandemic has hit every realm of life. DAU, of course, is impacted as well. And this speaks to time and resources realities. We have instructors and ed techs that are in new and different roles. Tell us about the challenges you're facing in your work under, you know, whatever constraints this has brought us. Well, you know, DAU did a really great job when the pandemic started. DAU has always been very much an instructor-led brick-and-mortar classroom kind of training organization. We've had lots of online training, but not a lot of the blended or virtual instructor-led training. So within two weeks of when the pandemic really hit and things closed down here in the U.S., we were able to deploy, we meeting DAU as a whole, more than 88%, almost 90% of our scheduled in-person courses. We were able to deploy them online with instructors teaching virtually. That helped more than 23,000 students in just the first couple of months after the pandemic started. So to support that with instructors and other faculty members who had faculty and staff who had never instructed online or in a virtual classroom, we had to do some quick MacGyver-like upskilling. Yeah, I remember that. This is actually very vivid to me. It was about March where the word came from our president here at DAU that, no kidding, we're, we're sending people home. You need to be out of the offices by this date. And I think the story you're telling is that, thankfully, as a consequence of the infrastructure that we had to support online type of interaction to have sessions that were virtual, we could do the teaching, even if we hadn't gotten super sophisticated at what we're calling VILT and all the best practices that go with it, we at least were able to get online and get online fast with most of our stuff. Yes. And let me tell you a little bit about some of the things that our department did to support the rest of the university as that was occurring. We wanted to ensure that instructors were prepared to accelerate and to scale that you know, virtual environment transition. 
we were lucky because we had already, well, of course, like you said, there was the, the technical, the digital infrastructure there. But we had already started also um, a strategic initiative to identify built as an emerging product line. So as I said a minute ago, we had always done in-person brick and mortar kind of training, but we knew even before the pandemic that we wanted to have this product line that was virtual instructor lab. So a couple of months, probably in the fall, October, November, uh, we brought together a team from across the enterprise, multiple different business units, and we relied kind of on a backward design method, some what I would call agile-like techniques to select and manage these different kind of quick iterative work cycles. And so we were able to launch what we called the VILT portal in less than 90 days. So by about the middle of January, pre-pandemic by about two months, we had this website with lots of resources and courses you could take and external kind of off-the-shelf things to sort of start preparing in this strategic way for built delivery. So we felt very lucky that we had that because as news of the upcoming pandemic intensified, what we did was we were able to pull content out of that portal and put it in this emergency built site. And that was very helpful for our instructors and others who had to just get out there teaching online. Yeah, and it's it's not a comfortable transition for everybody. So it was great that we were not without tools and resources. We were kind of building them already. On a slightly self-serving note, I, I had done two or three interviews with experts in VILT, and they were like a year or two old at least. And I was very happy about them, but all of a sudden they went from just, you know, a couple of other topical things in the Learning Circle podcast library to like top relevance and something that would be helpful as people are suddenly faced with like, oh man, how do I, you know, run these virtual classes? I know the skill sets are a little bit different, a little bit more. So it was great that we had the tools. And I think it was just in a, uh, I, don't, I don't know what kind of clairvoyance we had, but we, we kind of knew that we had to get ready for this. But the crisis forced our hand and it went much better than it might have been, I think is what I'm trying to say. I think you're right. And we did link to both of those Learning Circle podcast episodes from our VILT website. And like you said, it, it was a great resource. All of those kinds of resources that people could read and listen to and watch were really helpful for people who were feeling very nervous about this new role, this new setting that they were going to have to teach in. And the thing that I kind of really like about going from the regular VILT portal to our what we call the VILT emergency site was the way we set it up. It was very like a timeline. So we said in big letters, if you have less than a week before you have to go teach a build, here's the five things that you absolutely must do. You know, if you have two weeks before you're in a virtual classroom, you can do this. Um, these are the critical things. Then we said, if you have a month, and then we said, and if it's more than a month, we can get to a more steady state and we'll start doing, you know, doing not the emergency kinds of, of helps and fixes, but then we could do more long-term planning. But people found that 
very helpful. Yeah, those core essentials you you gave them right yeah. right away. Yes. So they it could be mm-hmm. you know don't let the uh, perfect be the enemy of the good mm-hmm. enough. I I love that expression. You gave people just what they needed with short notice. Yes, and a couple other things we did along those same lines that were really helpful. We had a lot of really positive feedback was our ISD crew, about eight of our ISDs at DAU, they just came forward and they ran over the course of six weeks, probably eight to 10, one to two hour webinars where they did, again, more one-on-one, more personal, some of the same things that people were seeing on the VILT emergency site using the delivery platform. It was WebEx at the time at DAU and, you know, just what are the basics? How do you get on? How do you tell the students to get on? How do you do breakout rooms? All of those things, um, content alignment, just some really quick, you know, you, you might've had these types of assets. Maybe you use some PowerPoints in your brick and mortar classroom. They aren't going to play as well in a virtual classroom environment. Let's give you some really quick ideas of how to make them more engaging for that different environment. And those those were really helpful too. We recorded them. They're still available and was a really good resource for our people. That is very helpful, especially that, that faculty to faculty peer support. I'm working on a series with some of our other colleagues that is video-based. And one of the themes that emerges is how it is very experimental and iterative as they were beginning to do VIL classes. They tried things, they learned, and they failed quickly, but they failed forward when it didn't work. And it was just this kind of a onward and upward progression, seeing what works, what doesn't work with like literally one day iterative cycles. So talk about Agile. No kidding. And there was, in addition to sort of the formal informal or informal formal things that our program did like you mentioned there was a ton of grassroots efforts just sharing ideas and resources back and forth between the the personnel and DAU's colleges and regions which are located across the United States and I have to mention that you know that has been one of the good things about the pandemic is previously having been you know geographically spread out over the U.S. Now that we've been online, people are kind of a lot more able and willing to reach out, to talk. It seems less, I don't know, scary or unknown. And that has been something that we've noticed has been a good thing. It is. Yeah, the world has made the adjustment and it's just accelerated a lot of things in the learning and development world that depended upon the trend of people migrating online in a bigger way. So, you know, you mentioned earlier the the MacGyver solutions, you know, figuratively we were, if we were using the uh, barrel of a ballpoint pen and a Wrigley's uh, foil gum wrapper to get things done, I think that we've gotten more sophisticated in light of people now having adapted to online. What does research and experience tell us about what's required to actually reskill or upskill students for the long term? 
Well, I was going to use the actual gum itself as a MacGyverism, not the wrapper, but we were going to actually chew that gum and use it to stick something to something else. Well, you know, you can do that, but the foil is a good <laughs> conductor of electricity. So, Ah, know, okay. Right. I was thinking of, you know, gluing things together, but you're right. If we want to conduct electricity, that's the way to go. MacGyver never wastes anything, so. <laughs> that's right. Um, yes, as we have gone towards the steadier, steadier state, First thing we kind of did after that initial sort of emergency response was setting up some half-day to two-day workshops, topics like developing blended learning, because now some real library design was actually required. We wanted to have some little workshops on improving interaction and collaboration in that online environment. And so some of the research for actually upskilling, you know, for learning. Well, let's do some definitions first. Okay. Let, if you don't mind, let me just do um, kind of a common definition is, first of all, skilling, which is sort of a bit of a change of an approach to hiring for a lot of organizations. But DAU has been doing this forever because DAU's approach has been to hire subject matter experts with little or no teaching experience, and then skill them so that they could become good instructors. Then there's upskilling, improving on the skill that you already have, or learning something, a new aspect of that job. So your job doesn't fundamentally change. So if you were a good classroom teacher, you could upskill to translate those skills into, say, a specific environment like virtual. Reskilling involves training employees totally new set of skills, prepares them to take on a role, a totally different role within the company. So perhaps um, instead of an administrative assistant or ed tech setting up a classroom in the brick and mortar classroom, now they take on a producer role in a virtual classroom or maybe do connectivity checks prior to an online session. And finally, multi-skilling having skills in related areas. So let's say maybe you are an online instructor, but you also serve as your own producer. That would be an example of multi-skilling. So here's the interesting news in research. The Harvard Business Review says that upskilling requires 480 hours of intense learning and practice with feedback. Hmm. Now, what is the surprising aspect of that? It just expand on that f for us. I mean, it sounds like a lot, obviously, but why does that surprise you? What were what what was expected? A forty-hour training, quick uh, drink at the fire hose solution, or um, sometimes that that is what people want or expect, and that's why I said. And here's the surprising thing: it doesn't surprise me or maybe others in the educational learning and development field. But I think that some people are thinking, "Hey, upskill! I'm a good teacher. I'll just, you know, do a few different things and be great in the virtual classroom." Also, but I believe you mentioned earlier that there are different skills. You know, that's a different environment. And so it requires upskilling. It's a, it's a new thing. 480 hours is about 12 weeks of, you know, intense, pretty much full-time instruction and feedback. And that's why I think you see a lot of upskilling boot camps, you know, sort of a summer upskill boot camp idea. Yes. Because that's about how long, you know, they're finding that it takes. 
You know, I was being semi-facetious because I'm more of a self-taught person in most of what I do. So I, it's just a given for me that it's going to take me time to like learn a bit at a time, try this, try that, digest, internalize, all that kind of thing. So when I was talking about the 40 hours of drinking at the fire hose, that would be the assumption that, oh, there's a, a week-long class and you'll get your certificate, which sometimes has been the model where, you know, oh, I, you have to get, uh, you know, the, the next level and you, you go to this thing for a, a week or two or whatever it, it might be. And sometimes that's enough, but sometimes it is not. In fact, there was one sort of a digital boot camp that I read about. And most of the participants in that particular one already had a university education, but little or no experience in the field that they were hoping to enter with this reskill or upskill. And what they found over and over was about 480 hours of live instruction online or in a physical classroom delivered over that intense 12 week period. And that, you know, it's it's the feedback. That's what get, takes us back to performance, which is where we you know, we started a few minutes ago. Performance needs to have that feedback loop. You can't perform in a vacuum. Performance rarely improves without feedback from experts. It goes back a little bit to the old model, like if you're a master carpenter. And then, you know, you're training up the novice or the journeyman carpenters. It's sort of like that. You need to really perform. You need expert feedback. Absolutely. Yeah, there are nuances to the nuances to the nuances. And to be really good at something, you need to be observed and you need to get the feedback. I was actually just going through this last night with something I was working on. And I was getting feedback from an expert. And I'm like, oh, I can't believe this. You know, this is like harder than I thought. And uh, some of this was motor skill related type of stuff in addition to the, um, you know, the informational part of it. So things can be very difficult and you have to have feedback. You have to have people observe and provide you insight into how to improve. So I think that applies to almost everything you can think of. It does. And other things that they have been finding, they meaning researchers who look into this sort of thing is in addition to the specifics and the demonstrated performance that someone could observe against a set of standards, agility and adaptability are things that people need in this whole idea of upskilling, reskilling. If their employees are resilient, a company can be resilient and pivot and those are some of the things that in addition to the actual, if we wanted to say hard skills of the function itself, digital expertise is another one. We have found that a lot of our, our faculty who are amazing in the classroom hadn't been online much, hadn't had to use, not had to, but had the opportunity, I guess, to use some of the the technologies. And so that can be a barrier for, for upskilling, just that technological experience. Right. And through no fault of their own, these are people who are very talented and they're stars in the classroom, but now they find themselves in front of a screen where you're monitoring feedback and chat and other cues and signals. Sometimes 
you're trying to be aware of that on your own. Hopefully you have a producer of some kind to help you. So we talked about this upskilling and that requirement of how long it takes. Obviously, we live in a very impatient world. There's a lot of urgencies. Are there ways to accelerate this? Are there ways that you've looked into where we can hasten the development and growth of upskilling? Well, I think so, Anthony. Some of the things that I have researched, again, it's it's the difference between quick and quickly, as quickly as is practicable. You know, nothing that is takes as many hours and that you want to be really good at or have a quality product. Uh, it's not just observing someone teaching, but you can also measure the quality of your products. And so to get quality products, to get world-class instruction, it's not going to be quick, but it can be a little quicker. And this, these are some of the things that I've discovered and that we are looking into trying to implement some of them at DAU. I think there's a really great opportunity for some video-based systems. They can be remote. You can record yourself and get feedback from an expert later. You can have that in person and have an opportunity to be coached. And that saves on travel and also in this virtual environment. It fits in perfectly and can even be used if and when we do go back to the brick-and-mortar classroom you could still record yourself and get feedback virtually. You don't have to perhaps have someone travel out to your location. Another thing is to establish that really clear connection between the digital and technical skills and the functional skills. You know, think about the role and and just only learn those those technical skills that you need to perform in that role. That's why we're really focused on a role based environment right now. Just what do you need? When do you need it to really do a good job? A really good mapping of what the final expectation is and how you're going to be assessed or how you want to be assessed and the kind of competencies and behaviors that you need to be demonstrating. I think having internal employees as exemplars and coaches Also, putting this training into actionable tasks that are projects within the organization can be helpful. Let me ask you about the forgetting curve, because while you're learning, knowledge is degrading. Mm -hmm. Are there techniques that come into play there to, to help retain so that the kind of the leaky buckets of our brains are less leaky and we develop faster in that sense? You know, I know that you did not look at my notes or the things that I was thinking would be good for, you know, some of the things that I've researched and found to be helpful. But if you could see my notes, you would see that I have made notes right along those same lines. So let me go ahead and share some of those things. Starting out, the training can be personalized, you know, leverage what people are already good at so it aligns at the right level. So I propose sort of a matrix learning pathway for novice through expert where you eventually become a peer mentor. So in that you don't forget because you are moving, you're always continuously improving and moving through some of these different levels. Another thing that we're working on is so good with my little websites. We're starting a performance development site, which Anthony you, with your great graphic design skills, you um, designed our homepage for us, which 
is great. It's very modern. It's attractive. So thank you for that. I'm happy to be of service. (laughs) But that will be a place for people to access development and remembering options, not only longer term courses, but quick guides. You know, everything in the government has to have an acronym. So I'm calling these quick guides, rapid application modules, RAMs. And it's similar to that VILT emergency portal. Here are the five first things to do. Or you've taken this course, now it's time to grab this two to four page infographic or reading material and read what happens if you skip one of those steps. Or here's one video of someone doing it right and another video of someone doing it wrong. Watch and learn. Reinforcement, I love the idea of a ding or a phone call or something saying with, you know, a little text or a note that says, have you thought about X today? You know, something that you had learned. So that's sort of a constant or frequent reinforcer. And that coaching ideas, supervisors who recognize that upskilling is important, that if you want high quality and world-class performance, you need to have time to practice it. And so frequent practice is something that needs to be built in to your work day. And one last thing along these lines is that if you really emphasize engagement among your employees, sort of set that culture of trust, that it's not a bad thing or a sign you're a bad manager or a bad instructor. If you are working hard to upskill or reskill and you're working together all the time, you're talking to people, it promotes a feeling of inclusiveness that we're all working together. And it sort of keeps that zest for improving sort of on the front burner rather than on the back burner where you're more likely to forget. Yeah, that's very good. That's true continuous learning. And tell me a little bit about how motivation plays into this. I asked this question of our mutual colleague, Shelton Jewett, in our last episode, but it seems to me keeping it on the front burner speaks to keeping learners motivated. Yes. And you know what? I listened to your interview with Shelton the other day, but I didn't get all the way to the end. And so Had I gotten all the way to the end when you asked him about motivation, I might have been ready with a really great answer. But you'll just have to take the answer that that I have in mind right now. And that is that motivation, of course, we know motivation for everything, for learning is important. And really what you want learning to do is result in a behavior change. And so the motivation isn't so much to come to this class or do this learning. The motivation is what behavior am I involved in that I want to change, that I want to improve? And, you know, in some places with the whole upskilling and reskilling idea, you know, the motivation is I've lost my job. My job doesn't exist anymore. You know, I was in the restaurant business and, and my business has gone under. So certainly that's huge motivation right there, very intrinsic and worrisome motivation. But, you know, there's that motivation of having the support and feeling and knowing that you're getting better, you know, that you have that criteria that you know that you're working toward, that you have people who are giving you feedback and support, and you can see yourself getting better. And I guess 
you know, my kids say that I'm a learning geek, and I guess I really am because that that feeling that that you're getting better and that you're learning something every day is really motivating to me, and I want. I want everyone to feel that way. It's a good feeling. It's a good feeling. <laughs> um, and on an individual level, it's a good feeling. But as we kind of broaden the aperture, what is really the goal, would you say, of improving the performance of your workforce? I think it's certainly competitive, the competitive nature of your organization, whether it's the government and the competitive nature there might be having a skilled military or Department of Defense or, you know, protecting, protecting your country. Other organizations improve by improved sales and that sort of thing. But I have a quote that I really love. There's a, a book called Design Revolution, 100 Products That Empower People. And a, a young friend of ours has one of his products in that book. And so I love thumbing through it. It's, it's a cool book. You would enjoy it with your you know, design interests and skills. But this one quote says, we think we're in the artifact business, like when we just deliver learning assets, but we're not. It says we're in the consequence business. Every performance, every asset is multiplied by hundreds or thousands. And so that really hits me because at DAU, with our acquisition and requirements workforce, there are customers my learners are the ones that create and deliver that training. And for us at DAU, performance in having really great learning assets, performance in having really compelling and interesting and relevant instructors, that is what leads to, you know, if your son or daughter, dad or mom and or uncle is a warfighter on the front lines, that's what makes them safe. That what helps them do their jobs and helps them come home to you. And that is our, that's our value. That is our mission. Yeah. And that brings us full circle. Uh, the real purpose in improving performance is to expand an organizational capability. Mm -hmm. This organization is the department of defense. It's our acquisition arm. It's all about, equipping the warfighter with the tools they need to keep us safe. And I want to thank you for your time today, Deborah. I appreciate what you're doing to add to that purpose and to meet that goal. Thank you, Anthony. It's been my pleasure. We have worked together for a while, and it is always a pleasure to get together and talk about learning stuff. Yes, it really is. Thank you so much for being on today. Thank you for listening. To catch up on all of our shows, subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Learning Circle is produced and distributed by the Defense Acquisition University.